Hit record. Correct. I was going to remind you. <laughs> now, when you said watch to the end of the, the credits for this one, was it just to hear the zombie go, I think I'm oh, I need a hug. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Yeah, it's the only episode it does it. Nathan is stood up for this podcast. Yeah, I don't know if it came through on the last one, but a couple of weeks ago I was lying down. I'm hoping I'll be less likely to fall asleep this way. <laughs> <laughs> That and it's the middle of the day. That too. That doesn't really mean anything with a small child, does it? <laughs> Is that a glass of wine at 20 past two in the afternoon? Well, it, it's Archbishop's Ale from the Blackpool Brewery of Bishop Auckland, County Durham. It's a very dark ale. Yes, only is. So that's why standing up. But I'm going to insist if this whole audacious catastrophe collapses onto the floor and makes a ginormous crash, I want you to include it in the audio track. <laughs> Agreed. Nathan is on the fuck it, it's five o'clock somewhere parenting plan. You know, the genuine truth is there's a three hour window in the early afternoon when I'm allowed to have a beer. <laughs> Any later than that, and it's like, oh, it's infringing on nighttime duties now. This is your adult hour. This is the adult hour while the rest of the family are feeding geese in a Northumbrian park. So, no, this is not the adult hour. This is the you know, the teenage adolescent hour because <laughs> adult hour starts again when the child returns home, surely. Yeah, that's a good point. Adult hour isn't typically spent watching 90s paranormal action adventure. This week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. Right, I've actually written it down this time. I'm so tempted to try and throw you off now. (laughs) Shazbad. (sighs) Bollocky wanker. (laughs) You're going to try and give me Tourette's now. Fuck! We are live on a medial learning podcast. Do not say fuck and or bugger. Hello and welcome to Series 3, Episode 6 of Remedial Nerding. This week it's Buffy, Season 2, Episode 22, Becoming Part 2. However, we have all watched Part 1 as well because actually having watched it back again, just watching Part 2 would have been really confusing. That was an epic mouthful of numbers you just spewed forth. I was waiting for you to finish that sentence. I thought you were going to interject there as you sort of thought of it. I, I was very tempted just to shout number wang at the end of it. You're right, though. It, we definitely needed both parts of this one because there's a lot in it. Well, Becoming Part 1 spends a lot of time giving you Angel's backstory. Yeah, because I, I watched them back to back while doing the dishes. I've forgotten what was in Episode 1 or, or Part 1 or Part 2. But I did enjoy all the flashback to 1750 business. I thought that was well done with the, the periodic ones introducing key points in Angel's history. I thought it had a, a slightly uh, community theatre vibe at times, maybe just because seeing the same actors who were just doing mid-90s California in colonial era garb. Although I guess it was set in Ireland, so colonial era is up until the 1920s or something. With Yeah, David Boreanaz with a very dodgy Irish accent. Oh, the accents were a source of constant delight and comfort. <laughs> what did you think of uh, Kendra's accent? I was not entirely sure where it was meant to be from. I guess Jamaica, ultimately. Yeah, it's a very definite Caribbean vibe to it. Hence my referring to her as Rihanna. Well, Rihanna's Bayesian, so... It's not that far away. <laughs> 
But I did realise it's like, ah, this is the first time any of us have seen Kendra this watch through, which shows how unimportant she actually was. Oh yeah, you sent me a text saying, if you're wondering who Kendra is, she's loophole alternate backup Slayer. Yeah. Yeah, the, this is the, the loophole that was generated. I can't believe this is the first time that this has happened in the history of Slayers, that one Slayer has died slash only for a moment and then come back to life and it's caused another Slayer to be called. Now, you would have thought that someone may have figured this out beforehand. I did think that maybe what we could, this was like 15 years ago when I watched it for the first time, what they could do is just take Buffy to a hospital. <laughs> just keep flatlining Just her. keep stopping her heart and then defibrillating her. All right, dead, 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 dead. There we go. Then you've got an army of Slayers. This is somewhat like the um, the Chris Straub comic, which, yeah, all the episodes are like two panels because it's, we can't sustain a very sustained build-up, but the title is Two Cops. He enrolled twice at the Academy and now he's two cops. (laughs) Becoming Part 1 finished with Drusilla hypnotising Kendra and then opening her veins in the neck (laughs) with her fingernail. Look into my eyes, look into my eyes, don't look around the eyes, look into my eyes and... Yeah, and knocking out Xander and Willow, Giles napping Giles, and then Buffy standing over Kendra and the police walk in, and that's the end of the first episode. I was going to say Kendra wasn't very good because she's as a slayer, because in my viewing experience she lasted half of one episode and 10% of a second one. But it was less than that. She died the same episode I met her for the first time. Yeah. That's why I thought she needed a little bit of introduction. She hadn't been a slayer for very long. I've not been doing this long and I've named my steak. Here's my favourite steak that I've killed all my vampires with. Now I'm shit. It's called Vera. <laughs> Do you think there's a... The distribution of, like, career part life of slayers is massively spiked around the zero mark. <laughs> it's kind of like popes that have you know Pope Celestine who ruled for seventy five years and then went through sixteen popes in the next eight years or something. Yeah, you get a real quiet period. Yeah, uh, finally we found one that stuck with it for the first six months. I mean, it's like restaurants more than popes. If you make it through the first six months, you'll be good for a few years. Yeah, th- there's no apocalypse due for the next seventy years, so our slayer's golden. Right, should we hit play? Oh, crack we better. Should we just hit play on part two because I'm not standing here for an hour and a half? Oh God, God, yeah. <laughs> This episode of Radio Learning is becoming part two. We spent the first bit talking about part one. Right, it's now part two time. All right, I'm ready. Go. Freeze. I was really pleased to see the muggle police getting involved because I wondered where they've been for a while. Oh, please (laughs) let us keep using that term. Well, that's what they are. There's the secret world and there's the muggle world. As much as I dislike the term muggles, it does apply in Buffy quite a lot. Because it's quite obvious the chief of police is not a muggle, as is the principal. Yeah, that's true. He does Because Principal Quark does actually come in and say at one point, um, the San Diego police force are all stupid or something. Yeah. Or Sunnydale, they're not San Diego. It's just SD. The standard definition, police are all stupid. <laughs> I do like Buffy's use of the term troll, though. Not to describe, I'm in Shimmerman. I, I like the fact that there's a sticker on the school locker that says porn star, and the principal's done nothing about it. Well, they're very casual in San Diego. I'm pretty sure that that bullet went through Principal Quark's head <laughs> to hit that door. They're also very casual about use of force, apparently. Yeah, she's kind of resisting arrest, but that's it. We're with no weapon. There's also the bit where she says oh, she's very dangerous. It's like, well, how do you know she's very dangerous? Well, allegedly, she's just brutally murdered that young schoolgirl and incapacitated or maybe killed the one boy that they can see. I do think the uh, standard definition police have gone through what I like to term the American OODA loop. Ooda. The Ooda loop. Yes, the Ooda loop. So the normal Ooda loop is observe, orient, decide, act. It's like a decision-making framework. Mm. But the American one is observe, overreact, destroy, apologise. 
Has it previously been established that because there's a scene in this where Principal Quark says something like tell the mayor that he'll I've got good news or something similar after he's managed to do some cackling evil. Yeah. Is it established that the mayor and or principal and or chief of police are evil or are they just generally dickbags? Not yet. Consider that kind of building work for series three of Buffy. Oh, is that foreshadowing? It is, yeah. Alright. I'm pretty sure it's series three. It's Chekhov's phone call. Not everything is Chekhov's. <laughs> Not everything that's seen again needs to be Chekhov's. Some of the times it is just <laughs> plot building for the next episode. I guess it's kind of in keeping with Buffy's theme of no one checks behind them, but it seems incredibly easy to evade detection in this place. Uh, we're looking for a, a suspect who matches this description, but it can't be that person because she's wearing a black toque. <laughs> and having a hug from yeah. one of the victims. Yeah, they do not think to check on the immediate um, friends and family. Like, although they go and visit B-Moms, the house isn't uh, under observation or anything. Yeah. <laughs> Willow looks like she's actually working really hard at lying in bed there. She's got a really... Well, not the sort of facial expression you'd expect on someone that's unconscious. That just made me think of a line from Futurama, which it has context but doesn't need it, which is just, that's the worst coma acting I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think this was bad coma acting. It's all right. It's just the way she was holding her mouth. I thought it last night and I thought it again today. Yeah, so Willow was partway through the re-insoloning ceremony when a bookcase fell on her. Re-insoloning part one. Exactly. Or I guess part two, because they already did the re-insoloning in 1895 or whatever it was. <laughs> part 2A. So Cordy's just turned up and um, she's not the person you necessarily expect to have that much self-awareness, but she does because she's basically like, yeah, I ran like a coward. Which was entirely the right response, as it turns out. Yeah. What are you going to do when you have no combat ability and face with a handful of vampires that want to eat you? Activate your hearthstone. Use yourself as bait and lead them away from the rest of the party. <laughs> this episode gets kind of dark with the whole Angel Giles torture thing. And you don't see anything, but no. Well, I was yeah. trying to work out what Angel had done. And the only kind of clue is you can see Giles has got bandages on a couple of his fingers. So I'm assuming that he's had a couple of fingernails pulled out, possibly knuckles broken. Hmm. Which is quite mild. It's kind of torture that you think a vampire could come up with. It's a bit your know, North London Mafia just pulling people's fingernails out. Now you're starting small. Yeah, work his way out. He has shown in the past he's prepared to spend an inordinate amount of uh, time and effort to have fun with this kind of thing. True. Which is partly why I think he's a radically different person than good Angel. I like that in the the flashbacks for Angel, it did kind of cover what we were discussing last time with the whole, what happens when you get your soul back? Is it just a conscience? It's like, no, you've, you've just like been asleep and it all comes back to you like a, a horrific nightmare. Because you were a good person, and now you have this sudden conscience about murdering brutally all these hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah, so you, it seems like you lose memory for a bit, but then get it back. Yeah, it's like temporary amnesia. Hmm. It still brings us back to the question of, if you were a homicidal sociopath beforehand, would you actually notice any difference? Also, is there some link between his this soul and his body? Or could they have used this ritual to insolinate a golem of some kind? Well, that would have solved the problem, because then they could have used his blood all they wanted later on. Um, plot spoiler. Like, you live in this marionette now. <laughs> like that um, Pathfinder spell for the druid that... Um, it was like, well, it's a level lower than resurrection, so that's the good thing. The bad thing is we roll on this random table to see what species you are now. <laughs> Have you heard of the uh, the Malazan Book of the Fallen? No. It's a pretty epic ten-part novel series. 
But in the first episode of that, a really powerful warlock transfers his soul to a marionette and goes completely insane and then causes havoc for the next sort of six books hmm. because he's now a human in a marionette and he goes a bit fucking mental. It's an awesome book series. I highly recommend it. Gardens of the Moon is the first book in the series for anyone that wants to go and look it up. That was a recurring theme in the Terry Pratchett Witches books, wasn't it? That it's, it's hard to have a human mind in a non-human body. Yes, the, the form of the body you're in puts a pressure on the mind inside to the point that when they, yeah, if you borrow that type of body for too long, you'll never come back. So we just got reintroduced to Whistler, who turned up in the flashback episode. Was it reintroduced? Because I'd, I'd never seen him before episode part one of this. Well, yeah, his, his first introduction was in part one, where he kind of took Angel to see Buffy. Well, his whole job in both episodes is to just sprout exposition. Yeah. Which Buffy ignores. Yeah. Yeah, Whistler and actually, as we're now learning in this scene, Spike kind of have the similar characteristic in that they're nominally team evil, but they've just been enjoying their assignment so much they want to maintain the status quo. Yeah, but with Spike is a bit of much the uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I think when he told Buffy she nailed it and he, he's an immortal demon sent down to bring the balance between good and evil, he's like, yeah, actually, you've, you've nailed that, you're spot on there. Oh yeah, they did say that, didn't he? So is he just on whatever team is currently losing? He's on team fence. Hmm. <laughs> it's the Anakin. He's been sent to bring balance to the Force. And since there are hundreds of thousands of Jedi and one or possibly two Sith Lords, balance sounds excellent to us. <laughs> <laughs> you were meant to bring balance to the party. Says the Berserker going around chopping all the goblins in half with a two-handed sword. <laughs> That's the one. I say, I, I actually like Spike a lot in this because he is the answer to a question I have in a lot of these things, which is... Your main villain has got his plan to destroy the world and everything in it. But why, though? And Spike saying, yeah, I don't know, man. That seems messed up. <laughs> I like the way he started. He's like, we all say it. We say we're going to yeah. end the world. It's just shop talk. <laughs> but once every once in a while, he gets someone with the dream, the vision. It's the expression of someone at a party who's just realised that Crazy Steve is actually going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I do like that despite being allied with the forces of good temporarily, he continues to be himself in the sense of completely evil. Come on, let's just dispose of this guy. (laughs) Oh yeah, let me just kill this guy real quick. And also later on when um, they're arguing about Drusilla um, and what the terms of their like hostage negotiation at the end of it is going to be. And um, yeah, Buffy goes, I can't let it go because she killed Kendra. And Spike's response is, oh sweet. <laughs> yeah, she bagged <laughs> yeah. a slayer. Drew bagged a slayer. That's pretty cool. This episode, well, in the first part, did answer a couple of questions about the uh, the vulnerability of vampires. So it turns out sunlight through glass is still fatal after the uh, immolationogram that Angel sent to Buffy in the high school. But if you get your car and you spray paint the windows black, that's fine. How yeah. you see out of it, I don't know. Yeah, maybe they've got psychic traffic sense. As long as it's pointing away from the sun. Yeah, as long as it's on the shaded side of the car, you're fine. Although that does also, the immolation gram does make me ask more questions like, is there a chain of command among vampires? <laughs> because that would have to, you'd have to be extremely persuasive to say, hey, go and tell someone this message, and when you've done it, set yourself on fire. Well, you only have to look at the news to see that that is not as hard as you might think. Not as hard as it should be, certainly. As Xander's confession of love for Willow. Now, I was thinking about this some more. Xander's obviously a bit conflicted about it, but I think it was more platonic love 
than romantic love. Well, it, it was one of those classic things that always annoys me that there's this idea in society that you're at your most clear thinking when you're extremely emotional and um, disturbed. Like, the truth will out when you don't really know what you're saying. I know that's the exact opposite of the case. I don't know, it's not like getting pissed and uh, telling someone how much you love them. Mm. That's 3am via a phone call that you've now rung seven times and your mate's <laughs> got to be up in two hours to go to work. That fiend angel is cleaning Rupert's glasses, the bastard. I always thought his name was Giles Somebody as opposed to Somebody Giles. <laughs> Rather than Mr. Giles. <laughs> you thought that you would be Mr. Nathan. <laughs> I thought that was just a cute nickname for him. Literally up until this episode, I did not get that Giles was not his first name. Like, possibly I thought he was called Giles Giles, but not really. <laughs> Are you aware that his first name is actually Rupert? I am now, yeah. Because um, Angel calls him Rupert, and so does Vision Quest Jennifer, <laughs> or I guess Hypnosis Glamour Jennifer. I do enjoy how Bee Mums loses her shit at the end of this scene. Yeah, it's kind of a, a Gollum leave now and never come back type thing. Well, kind of. <laughs> Give a teenager an ultimatum: if you walk out now, you're never coming back. Well, there is absolutely zero backing down from a threat like that. Yeah, that, that's the the biggest card you've got as a parent. And also, let me just say a stupid thing to say, like, you were reticent with coming forward that your life is in danger. Immediately leave your safe home. I don't know, I was really annoyed by the treatment of B-Mums in this episode. Or Joyce, as I guess she's called. Reluctantly. Oh, by the way, vampires exist. He's a vampire. I'm in mortal danger. Bye. Yeah, you've literally just seen him stake to death and turn into dust. <laughs> I like that B-Mums just saw her daughter brutally murder a man. And then Buffy was perturbed by the fact that her mum might have actually believed that she murdered Kendra. Well, also, he had a monster face and turned into dust. But I wonder if this has got, like, a, I think it's a Terry Pratchett thing, like a normality field in that this can't be real, therefore my brain will just erase all the not real stuff from it. And I didn't see anything. It did seem early on, especially with Cordelia, like, that's how it was going to work. But, like, they, they have lots of plausible-seeming theories, like, oh, maybe this um, Slayer business is a paranoid delusion you're having. Maybe we should talk to the police about this. And those things are touched on, but they're not really addressed by Buffy. Buffy's response is a fuck-off mum. <laughs> Basically, yeah. But then I, I do feel like the scriptwriters were like, no, we can't have B-Mum be part of the Scooby gang because she's not cool enough. Maybe. And we need to maintain this source of drama. I love the awkward silence between Spike and B-Mums. Oh yeah, because Spike was there at the the staking, so now he's going to sit in the living room where the clock has suddenly got really loud. (laughs) And she's trying to think of some question other than, so what do you do for a living? (laughs) What what do you do for a deathing? I mean, I presume the answer for all vampires is basically long-term stock returns. (laughs) If you live forever, at some point your savings account just overtakes any meaningful profession. It's called compound interest. That and there's probably not much rent to pay on um, steam factories and abandoned mansions. Oh yes, this is just revealed that Spike and b have actually met before, but I'm assuming that's off screen for us because I don't remember it. No, that was in one of the last episodes we watched. That was with the, uh, he was part of the gang that were hopped up on drugs at parent-teacher night. Oh, so in school half that I didn't watch. Yeah, so me and Dan have watched it. I might actually go back. That is the one that I've definitely seen bits of before because I re- clearly remember the line, a gang hopped up, hopped. I'll say that again. A gang hopped up on PCB. Said by Omim and Shimmerman, which is why I thought he was the principal from day one. That's it, that's where we learned that Principal Quark and the Chief of Police aren't muggles at all, because they know. 
I kind of get the feeling that this whole Slayer conversation from Bee Mums is kind of like the gay conversation that a lot of parents had. But are you sure you're a Slayer? Have you, you tried, tried not, not being, being a, slayer? a Slayer? I'm sure you just haven't met the right not a vampire yet. <laughs> I guess it's a shame for um, demonstrating to Bee Mums that Giles is currently not available because he's got the, the air of authority to tell you some crazy stuff and have you believe it. The more I see this scene, the more I'm... Absolutely sure it's a, an allegory for coming out. I mean, if so, that does just paint Bee Mums in an even worse light than already. Because at least when she thought she was a murderer, it was like, yeah, but it was for a good supernatural reason. It's like <laughs> semi-reasonable to be upset. It's a bit like the scene from True Lies. Have you ever killed anyone? Yeah, but they're all bad. <laughs> so this is a bit reminiscent of Prophecy Girl, where they're kind of isolating Buffy with the pressure on her, and it's building up to that same kind of pressure in this episode as well. Yeah, it's it's back to that, in the end, she only has herself. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is all for good dramatic reasons, but it did just make me wonder, like, why didn't the Watchers Council or the OFBI or whatever it's called at some point say, we should really bring the parents on board early? <laughs> you know, it would also be quite good having a big, sort of obviously, several hundred-year-old organisation with maybe a bit of financial backing that could, you know, take care of the Slayer and make sure they don't have to worry about trying to balance a job. Yeah. And, you know, actually employ them to be a Slayer rather than just expect them to do it on their spare time whilst trying to revise. Yeah, we're, we're putting you in what we're calling homeschooling, but it's really more of a vocational degree <laughs> until you retire at 25 or whatever and we get a new one. <laughs> it's that quote-unquote retire. Yes, you, you come with me, <laughs> Miss Summers. You're being retired. I have also started really wondering who the previous Slayer was, if not whoever it was that acted in that film, because that was meant to be the same person. Whoever it was that was not Sarah Michelle Gellar. Don't remember it ever being mentioned. I mean, it's possible that the office was just vacant if there wasn't an apocalypse looming at the time. I think there is always a Slayer, but... You just think some Slayers get a really cushy deal? Yeah. It's like, well, vampire activities at a 150-year low, so do some crossbow practice and then worry about your chemistry finals, I guess. <laughs> Oh, we do get a scene of Charles doing some John McCaining here. Sticking it to the man. I did think he could have come up with something a bit more witty and amusing than telling him to do it in a tutu. I, I think the addition of Pillock really <laughs> nails it home for me. Yeah, so for for viewers who are not currently watching, he's um, being tortured for, why did I screw up this ritual that's going to win the world? And his answer is, you weren't dressed humiliatingly enough. You Pillock. I mean, it's asking a lot of someone under torture to come up with creative answers, but I guess he could have said something like, oh, you just need to add on this extra Latin phrase, try that again, and then wait 24 hours and then come back and ask me again. Well, you need a gallon of whale semen. <laughs> I don't know if you actually had that story, but... And I need to bless it. <laughs> okay, I'm now back to... Or I suppose we've had touched on it with standard death, muggle police are stupid. But again, there's been a crime scene, and there have been a shit ton of weapons on the premises... Hmm. including apparently a giant duffel bag with swords and shit in it just kicked under the reading tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're probably waiting for CSI. Are there any weapons in this room? Well, not in my line of vision, so I guess not. <laughs> we don't know what day of the week it was. It might have been like a Saturday and CSI only worked 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. Yeah, that's a bit possible. We'll put up some tape and we'll go home and we'll think about it in the morning. <laughs> looking at the edge of that sword. That can't be sharp. It's got so many nicks I'll in say, it. I was just thinking the same thing. I also like how Buffy walked around the chalk, the stereotypical chalk outline on the floor on the way in, and then on the way out, she's like, fuck it, I'm just walking through it. 
I guess it's a demon slaying sword. Maybe how sharp it is isn't relevant. Oh, so this is where it takes a turn for the super dark. Mr. Giles, comma, Rupert is looking a bit worse for wear. Creepy as fuck, Drusilla's just going to properly mind fuck him now. Yeah, so Drusilla as a vampire is what psychic and um, in both senses of the word, in the mind reading and also future telling senses. She is so Glau. Yeah, I suppose so. Okay. She did have the sight before she became a vampire. As we learned in the yeah, flashbacks in part one, which I guess does mitigate against a bit. Um, I don't know if you guys listened to the podcast, uh, Read It and Weep, but they started out with reading the Twilight books and talking about them. And so they introduced a game called Stupid Shit Vampires Are Good At. One of the entries on which is baseball, apparently. But yeah, why do vampires get random superpowers, some of them? And I guess at least in Drusilla's case, they're just saying, oh, she already had a random superpower before she was a vampire. I think they've done that in the, the Twilight to go off topic from on my fantastic knowledge of Twilight that I gleaned from being forced to watch the movies. Yeah. The, all the vampires seem to have a different random ability, or there are a few set random abilities, and they, they're like in a rarity. It's like they're like Pokemon. So they're across between Pokemon and X-Men. I'm turning you into a vampire. Roll 2d6 and to decide what you get from this table. That's it, yeah. Dark vision. Ah. <laughs> yeah, roll a, roll a seven, it's dark vision. Roll 12, it's turned into a swarm of bats. Oh, vision quest jellyfish. Yeah, so I, I last saw her in the last episode, but I guess for most viewers it'd been like 20 episodes since you'd seen this actress. Uh, only about, about 10. All right. I guess that's still three months of viewing. Although, depending on how they shot it on set, it might only have been a month or something. Well, I know with Series 1, they shot the whole series before any of it aired. I'm not sure right. if they did that for the others. And with Series 1, they did that to make sure that they could finish the series without having to kind of suddenly wrap it up after six episodes. It's like, oh, shit, no one wants to watch this. How do we end it? And it's like, no, let's make the whole series, then air it. You don't want the embarrassment of being cancelled mid-season. I'm like, well, we've got it anyway. We may as well put it on the air and save a few repeats of Friends and Property Ladder for later in the week. <laughs> I don't know what channel I think it broadcast on, but probably a safe bet that they were doing repeats of Friends and Property Ladder. Yeah, they would have been, although not on the same channel. Pretty sure Friends was on Channel 4. It's possible that Property Ladder isn't a real programme, it's just an amalgam of all the various cheap-to-make property-related shows. Combination of Homes Under the Hammer and Location, Location, Location. Could be, yeah. Drusilla is definitely enjoying playing tonsil hockey with Mr. Rupert Giles too much. So Dala sired Angel, Angel sired Dala. Didn't Dala sire Spike, or did Angel sire Spike? Hang on, hang on, there's too many too many Dalas there. Dala sired Angel, Angel sired Drusilla. I'm not sure who sired Spike. No, Angel sired Spike as Angel well. Angel sired Spike. So does that mean that the relationship between Spike and Drusilla is akin to, like, stepbrother and sister? Well, I was wondering how it worked earlier with the emulationogram, because I thought maybe it was the case that whoever got sired by was able to give commands like, maybe Sunshine's not that bad, find out for me. <laughs> but it, but Spike definitely is not deferential to Angel at all. Maybe he's just sliding scale, so if, you, if you're, like, newly sired, then you're, like, right under the thumb, you know? You're almost brain-dead zombie-like. But after a hundred years or so, and you get to Spike's server, like, fuck it, I'm my own man now, Dad. Or maybe it's to do with the number of humans you slurpify. You know, each time you do, you absorb a little bit more power. And obviously Angel was pretty bad to start off with, so he probably killed lots of people quickly and got really powerful. Yeah, it could be. Which would tie into the whole kind of new zombie... New zombie? New vampire. Not very powerful. Open to suggestion and manipulation. So we'll just fill in the blanks of our, our vampire mythology as we go. <laughs> Everyone else just makes it up. We'll do the same. I'm pretty sure that's what the writing staff did. We need a plot device. We also need some... Uh, theory behind it. Ah, we'll just make something up. I'm not quite sure what Xander was going to do with the rock and vampires. Decapitate a vampire with a rock. That's going to take quite a while. I mean, it's not like it was a sharpened flint or anything like that. It was a lump of rock. And he's only got one hand. 
I guess we do see later in this that um, decapitation is as effective as staking in getting someone yeah. special effects. I think that was the two ways that they were like, yeah, this is how it's going to happen. Staking and decapitation, exposure to sunlight. We're all good. I'm sure that's part of the general vampire law that decapitation will kill them. I guess it would be undignified if it didn't. Or maybe I'm no. thinking about oh, the Highlanders. <laughs> there could be only one. There can be only one certainly doesn't apply to vampires because there's, they say at some point earlier, we had five disposable ones this week. <laughs> <laughs> How is it that the first time Angel did this ritual, he was speaking in English, get to the second time and he's like, yeah, fuck it, we're going to do 95% of this in old school Latin. Well, the first time didn't work, obviously. Pointless minion vampire standing there to get decapitated was a, such a gormless idiot. <laughs> Just stand there staring vacantly into space. Should you be looking at the doors? Uh. Even for a vampire, I'm pretty sure that Angel should have been in a worse way, given the the amount of clanging coming from the iron bar that Spike is beating around the back of the head with. Oh yeah, so dramatic um, showdown at the sinister altar happens, and Spike's deal kicks in by where he gets to... We get the impression that he was wanting to do this anyway, but now he's got a reasonable chance of getting away with it. Just a whale on Angel with a golf club or something. I kind of feel that his move was wasted. I mean, if he just had a, either a sword and cut his head off for a stake... He could have been through with Angel completely. It would probably be a bit suspicious for him to be carrying a stake around. I do have two points about that fight, though. One is throw a vampire into a chair that handily explodes into a cloud of uh, wooden splinters that are just stake-sized and shaped, so that was quite (laughs) handy. And two, as Anders broken his right arm, he just twatted a vampire in the face with his right hand. And with the cursed. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he would just be walking around with his arm tucked under his other armpit going... I like the scene with Xander and um, Giles. Where he sneaks <laughs> away to untie him. Yeah. No, no, they get in my head, make me see things I want. And Xander's like, am I really what you want? <laughs> Good point. Good point, well presented. Although we do have a vampire loophole of the week in this scene. And that is where Spike is fighting Drusilla. And in order to knock her out, to take her away... Puts her in a chokehold. Yes, I did think that as well. So vampires don't have breath, but you can chokehold one into unconsciousness. And they can also <laughs> smoke, yeah. <laughs> it's increasingly looking like the in-fiction explanation here is just Angel was bullshitting that one time. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. Angel didn't want to creep Xander out by you know, making out with a dead Buffy. So the MacGuffin, in, or the plot element in this um, film is we've got this statue of a demon who, if we do this ritual and it comes to life, the world ends. An angel wants to do that. Yeah, everything gets sucked for a giant portal into the demon dimension, where everything that hasn't got a demon soul is tortured forever and ever. An angel reigns as, like, prince or something. So this is where we get the climactic sword fight, which, at least in this context, kind of makes sense why they're using swords instead of guns. Although <laughs> I guess angel could still probably, preferably be using a gun. Yeah, his is a weapon of opportunity. But the big plot twist here is... Willow is going to have a second crack at the old insolening, which got interrupted during episode one when a bookcase fell on her. <laughs> and it just so happens to happen in between Angel pulling the pin out of the world-destroying grenade and having to be thrown on it. <laughs> <laughs> that is an absolutely fantastic analogy. Please tell me you just came up with that and that you hadn't been sat there thinking about it for a while. Well, I only watched this late last night, but I was thinking about it then because it's kind of like a law school theoretical problem. Because <laughs> it's like, alright, in order to not destroy the world, we've got to kill this guy, but it's okay because he doesn't have a soul, but someone does insole him just at the wrong moment, but there was a third person who could have told you that that was going to happen, except he didn't. <laughs> who is responsible? 
you're saying this is some sort of ethics dilemma. I am, exactly. This is the kind of, a person commits suicide by jumping out of a window, but then another guy fires a gun out the window at the same time and kills him. Is he guilty of murder or not? (laughs) In this case, like, Xander was the only one who was acting with malice in that he was like, yeah, totally kill Angel, he probably won't get insulted or anything. But that's pretty badass with Buffy, where it's like she's about to get stabbed in the face. I know she just grabs the sword between the palms of her hands and then twats it back into Angel's face. Yeah. I mean, I do think that Spike was going to go full team good for a while when he stops and he looks and he goes, ah, oh, shit, he's going to kill her. And then you get that shrug and he just walks off. He's like, ah, oh, fuck it. He does just want to get Gru and... Gru? Different Gru. film. <laughs> just want to get Drew and fuck off. I'm struggling with people's names. Well, I had... Maybe you can explain, because I had problems with that as well, because he's like, oh, Angel's going to destroy the world if he gets away with this, and I don't want that to happen, so I'll help a- I'll help Buffy kill him, and also get Drusilla in out of the deal, or, you know, go back to how things were with us before Angel came around, sniffing around these parts. And then he's like, oh, Angel's actually winning, and he's probably going to destroy the world in a bit. I guess I'll drive to a different bit of this about-to-burst balloon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think he's about, well, I just cut my losses. I don't want to have to spend all eternity with a really pissed off angel. You never know, he might forget that I smacked him in the back of the head with the golf club. <laughs> I was just hoping that in the demon dimension, at least he'll be like 20 miles away or something. <laughs> An angel will be too busy with his new domain dominion to pursue vengeance. Unless he's going on the basis that the portal that a Catholic has only expands at a certain speed, if he can drive slightly faster than that, he's got till he gets halfway around the world before he gets taken to hell, which might yeah. be some time. Maybe. Just converting you know, the whole episode into a differential equation. <laughs> oh, whilst Angel and Buffy are busy tugging on the heartstrings. Oh yeah, because Angel's unexpectedly got his soul back. Although, I have to say, if I was in Buffy's position, I probably would have said, well, he's tried to trick me several times in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Probably just best to get on with it. But she saw the glow in his eyes. That's true, he did get after effects. It didn't work out so well last time she saw that glow. She didn't see that glow, though, because she was in a post-coital langer and he was out on the street. <laughs> I, I remember this episode and how it ended. I forgot that just how well it was done. It is quite a sad ending. No, it tugs. I was texting Joanne last night while I was watching this, told her which episode it was, and I was like, I just don't know how emotional it's going to be having not watched all of the build-up. And it actually, it's still, I think we've seen enough to realise how hard it is, this is for Buffy. Uh, for me, maybe not. I think this is a flaw mo- more of the way I'm watching it than of the series as a whole. But for me, I've got totally got the Anakin Skywalker problem with Angel. <laughs> In that everyone talks about how great he is, but I've never seen him do anything good or even smile. He's just been a shady bastard from day one and a massive villain from day two. So you are definitely in the Xander column for how you feel about Angel. I think Xander's in the category of right but for the wrong reasons. (laughs) It's that timeless story of vampire gets soul, vampire meets girl, vampire shags girl, vampire loses soul, vampire becomes bad, vampire gets soul back again, girl gets vampire with soul back, then stabs him through the heart and loses vampire soul and everything to a portal to hell. How many times have we heard that story? I know, Shakespeare started this whole thing, you know. That's... Depending on, I guess, what the deal is with where his soul has been in the meantime, this might just be a big misunderstanding that they can sort out later. Because <laughs> if he's been in hell in the meantime, he was like, oh, what, I got confused, and I thought I was back in the real world for like 35 seconds or something. They're like, yeah, you were, but we had to put you back. Sorry. Yeah, so this is a question for you guys. You can refuse to answer on the grounds of spoilers if you want, but did the Angel spin-off series happen already? And is this Angel is Gone Forever? No, Angel's... Uh, I think when I looked it up the other week when we were talking about it, it was the end of Series 3. That seems about right. So, like, yeah, six months in the future or something. Although I guess it could yeah. have been. This is what happened in 1995. 
But Angel is definitely not gone for good. Yeah, I think that's fair to say that that isn't a spoiler at this point. With a fair, pretty successful spin-off to the franchise. Not for a TV series that premiered nearly 20 years ago. I mean, it did seem like a pretty definitive end to that character. Like, not only is he dead, but we've sent him directly to hell physically. It's like the anti-assumption of Angel. Go to hell. Go directly to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect 200 points. I kind of feel that this episode was written as a finale episode, just in case you no know, funding was pulled for season three. Oh, yeah, I assume that this was season two finale. It was that the case. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 22 seemed like a weird number of episodes, because it's not divisible. Yeah, apart from series one, every Buffy series is 22 episodes. Oh, right. So saying that a catalyst dormant again now, why don't they just put him in like a rock crusher and turn him into a road or something? <laughs> I do like Cordelia's logic of, well, she's going to be fine. She's going to be back any minute now because, you know, we've still got school. I guess she didn't know that she was expelled. I mean, they also just didn't look over their shoulder considering she's <laughs> just the other side of the road. Well, she doesn't have a fugitive woolly hat on anymore. Yes, they should definitely have seen her. <laughs> Yeah, that's never resolved, is it? No, is Buffy still a fugitive at this point? Are the muggle police still looking for her? Yeah, I'm curious to know whether that that causes a problem when she re-enrolls when Principal Quark retires or something, or if she's just going to be effectively homeschooled from now on. Yeah, I'm going to have to do some reading about Series 3, because I can't for the life of me remember how it all comes back together in the, first, the beginning of the next series. So, I'm, I'm guessing that the first episode of Season 3 isn't on our to-watch list at the minute? No, it is not. It may have to be a bit of bonus homework for me then. The now leaving Sunnydale, come back soon ending is very definitive of, yeah, this is season end, done, cut, yeah. shut. We may be back next year. <laughs> I had my note at this point was just, this is a super Whedon-esque thing, isn't it? Because he's not afraid about killing off major characters. Mm. And there's a post credit scene. And of course, there's Xander Washburn. As I've seen, I mean, dub over the studio logo. Mm-hmm. Did you watch all the way to the end of the credits, Nathan? Yes, I did. That zombie was always one of my favourite parts of watching Buffy, just hearing it going, arr, arr. Oh, I need a hug. <laughs> that, was, that was just voicing what millions of young people were feeling at that moment as Buffy Season 2 drew to a close. Yeah, I guess it's not the most um, cliffhangery season to it. That is a season that could have not come back. Yeah, they could have definitely ended it there. I'm just having a look at series three now. Probably probably the first one to pick up would be number three, Faith, Hope and Trick. Are these going to be people with terrible names? <laughs> Not to offend our American listeners who have terrible names. How are you doing, Palin family? <laughs> Possible edit for politics. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, looking through series three, apart from answering the question of how does Buffy come back kind of thing, the next episode that I would definitely say to watch is the next one that we are going to watch, which is... Series 3, Episode 9, The Wish. Bonus homework of Episodes 1 and 3 before we actually get to what we're watching. Yeah, I think that's probably a good shout. So yeah, Series 3, Episode 9 will be the next episode with Episodes 1 and 3 as bonus material to try and fill in some of the blanks. I did love this programme. I did as well. I feel I'm not seeing it under optimal circumstances. No. We're suffering it... from condensitis. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the two episodes that we're watching for Season 3, there is a lot that happens in Season 3 before you get to Episode 22 for the big reveal. Yeah, I mean, that's I'm possibly starting to regret our choice of doing this like this now because, man, yeah, that's, that's a lot to get in before Episode 22. I wonder if we would have been better or worse off if we just, at the end of every episode, rolled some random dice 
Like, oh, the next <laughs> one we're going to watch is episode 21. <laughs> the list is good. I mean, I like the list. It, as the episodes go, there are some real key moments, but there's also a lot of build-up to some of these moments. And I think, like Paul said, for episode three, is going to be a pretty big one. More from a who-the-fuck-is-this point of view than anything else, if I'm remembering that episode right from the, the title. On a spectrum from Simpsons through to, I guess, Breaking Bad or something, this does seem to be around the Deep Space Nine mark, where it's possible to watch out of order, but new characters are introduced and the status quo changes in between episodes. Yeah, it does. There's a lot more Hmm. series-long storyline. Yeah, still a few monsters of the week, but normally with a, a, a little inclusion of the story arc with three or four major plot points for the overarching story. Maybe I should see if there's one of those... Um, God, I'm trying to remember the name now. It's on one of... It's a YouTube series of The Lore of X in 60 seconds. Gotta look this up. Oh yeah, it's, the channel is just called Lore in capital letters. I think I remember watching The uh, the Lore of Warhammer 40,000 in 60 seconds. Oh God, that's going to be a, a convoluted mess. That is a convoluted mess. I never even played Warhammer and I'm aware of that much. I said, I mean, I haven't played for a while. I mean, I'm at the point where I'm probably going to sell the armies and just keep the paints and some of the books and get rid of the rest. But the stories behind it, some of them are really good. Yeah, the lore behind it is awesome. Especially now that they've they've started to really focus in and build that missing chunk that was always the lost millennium. There's no phrase that says space opera like the missing millennium. (laughs) (laughs) This is more like the missing ten millennium between the emperor dying and not dying and now. Although interestingly, that's uh, not so far from me. One of my favourite fringe conspiracy theories about history, because it was put forward by an actual history professor, for, as it turns out, racist reasons. But nonetheless, the theory was there was no time between the year 600 and 1300. <laughs> just didn't exist. I'm maybe getting the dates wrong, but his theory was basically that like, some Charlemagne employed some historians. He was like, yeah, make up some um, noble ancestors for me, would you? <laughs> so he was like, yeah, no problem. Your father was uh, Cletus, and his father was Leonidas, and his father was da 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 And we'll put in, like, I don't know, 12 generations, and then we'll go back to the last recorded actual king. <laughs> and that's the Dark Ages, and that's why we know so little about it, and also why architecture didn't improve. <laughs> Turns out, no it wasn't. Carbon date and proving proves that's wrong. Like it. But I like that, yeah, the missing time hypothesis. Whereas I just generally lose time, but that's not because I'm preoccupied with something else. A bit like I am at the moment. Yeah. But that's, that's only because I'm putting extra episodes for you guys. <laughs> it's normally in the form of something resembling a shiny picture from a magic box. Took me a second there to realise you're talking about a screen and not literally a box of Magic <laughs> the Gathering. <laughs> Well, it's not been unknown. It's a foil Jace Rin's prodigy. <laughs> I do declare you're giving me the vapours. I'm so hard resisting the temptation to talk about the deck I've got at the minute, which is this Jace Rin's prodigy. Turn 2 Jace, turn 3, Twins of Mora Estate. Fantastic. It's even vampire related. It's fantastic. Anyway. See, I really want you to just go for it, knowing that Paul's going to have this <laughs> slight awareness and then just lose it. <laughs> just switch off. <laughs> Oh, I've already switched off. In the podcast final edit, it can just be lift music going over the background. <laughs> I'm a girl from Ipanema. <laughs> I prefer a little Spanish flea, personally, but... <laughs> Given that Adult Hour's nearly come to an end, Nathan, do you want to keep talking about your magic, the gathering on your phone, or do you want to go and have a, another delicious beer instead? Well, I don't have any more delicious beer, and I probably won't be allowed to drink it anyway, but uh, maybe I'll go in and start cooking dinner for the next week. <laughs> <laughs> right, if no one has anything... No. Anything no. more on topic... Grr. Arg! 
That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding.